Good morning. How are we? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen by you as well. Uh, my name is R.D., and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, welcome, especially if you're first time here, second time here, 800th time here. Welcome. Glad that uh, you are you're with us. And we're in the middle of a series in the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, then you can grab it. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3. It'll also be on the screen uh, if you don't have one with you as well. So Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 is where we will be. And I wanted to just uh, one thank you and also uh, just give you an update on uh, through um, really the vision of our church. We want to be a church that does not exist for ourselves, but for our community and for our city. And one of the ways we do that is through our compassion projects, through Rooted and through our overall vision as a church. And so all of the generous giving that you give, uh, if, you, if you do give, we just want to use it to bless our city. And one of the ways that we do that is by partnering with local schools to help close the achievement gap. And as a church, we just want to resource our schools, our teachers, and the students as well. And so a few weeks ago at Eagle Point, Elementary in DeForest, we, because of uh, the money that's just been given generously uh, to our church, we just said, hey, we have, uh, we have money set aside that we just want to bless your school with however you see fit. And what they did was they bought tons of books for all their students so they could, these students could take some of these books home before they went home for the summer because most students can't have access to the school in the summer and they don't have any books that they can read and they can't, you know, all of them just go out to Barnes and Noble and keep buying books all summer. And so a way to help close the achievement gap, the reading gap is to just say, well, just, we, yeah, go buy books for your, your students. And so they, they went to the library, they, they bought all these books, stacked them sky high, and for about six hours, students just came into the library and they got to pick any books that they wanted and take them home with them. It's just a gift. And we have a picture that we can show you of just some of the students who were there and grabbing the books. And so this is just an extension of the generosity that we want to be known for as a church. And so we didn't put, you know, any secret Bible verses or gospel tracts in, uh, in the books. It wasn't like you've got to go to Door Creek Church now because we've given you no strings attached. We just want to say, because Jesus has blessed us richly, we want to bless you. And that's the thing that we're doing all over our city. And so thank you for your generous giving. Um, it, it happens when it's motivated by grace and by what God has done. And so as always, you know, we always um, are, are just encouraging, you know, everyone here to, to be generous in, in all ways. And one of the ways is we finish our ministry year year. We've got 10 weeks left. And we have 80% of our budget filled, and so we want to finish strong. And uh, any time that you talk about giving, um, it can often feel like it's, it's, it's motivated by guilt or, right, help us close the gap, so turn over your money now. And um, that's not what I want to, want to say to you. One, this is what happens. We use it to bless people. And secondly, it has to be motivated by the gospel. No one, I mean, people can force you to give, but... Your, your heart's not in it. And because of Jesus Christ, he was rich. And yet he became poor for our sake. And because he became poor, we became rich. And in our richness in Christ, God says, give it all away. And so for those of you who give financially, give of your time, who volunteer, in any way that you, that you just give back, just from the staff here, from me personally, thank you. Thank you, right? Ministry is people. 
Um, and so, and so just thank you for that and appreciate that. We don't pass the plate here. Don't pass the bucket here. No one's nudging you, you know, hey, give another 20. Like we don't do that here. Um, you can, you can give online, you can give at the back, um, however you want to. It blesses, um, our city and Door Creek is known as a generous place where we're generous people and all that we've given, we just want to give away so that more people can know Jesus. And since we started the book of Colossians, uh, four weeks ago, if you can believe it, Uh, we've had at least, at least six people who've come to faith in Christ. Six people. I know. Amazing. We're we're going all, we're going to go all charismatic here and just clap the whole service, aren't we? I just love it. Uh, Some of you are like, what are we doing with this clapping? This is, I am very uncomfortable right now. (sighs) Going to have to get over it. Going to have to get over it. Plenty of churches you can go to where there's no clapping. There's just radio silence. And we just want to be celebrating all that God has been doing in and through us. And so in one sense, you may say, you may say, well, of course, God's saving people at church, you know? And yet in another sense, there are tons of churches where that doesn't happen. And you may have been a part of a church like that. It doesn't mean that God may not be doing things, but for whatever reason, there are just not a lot of people coming to faith in Christ. In a Door Creek church, we have people, you know, regularly. Mark could say it, you know, Brad could say it. We, when our staff coffees on Wednesdays, we're, we're often sharing, you know, Robin, you could share, celebrate recovery like, and you do, which is great. Just all the things that God is doing that you may not know about and we know about. And just, it, it's amazing what God is doing. And it's not because I'm awesome or we're awesome. We're just being used by, by God. And so six people in the past four weeks, or I guess three weeks, counting, you know, this week, not fully done yet, um, have come to faith in Christ. And I have high hopes that there'll be more <laughs> this weekend because we're just preaching the gospel. We're preaching the word. And then I'm getting out of the way. And we're putting the spotlight on, on Jesus. And we want to continue to do that today briefly and then spend some time at the end of the service just reflecting on what we've talked about the past four weeks here. And so with that said... Um, Let's go. Let's get to work. Verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul says, To the Colossians, to us by extension, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Glory, glory, glory. So here's a a beautiful passage of scripture here where Paul is unpacking this beautiful um, New Testament idea that if you've come to faith in Christ, you have been raised from the dead spiritually, that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so now you're not perfect yet because we're not home yet, but that you have new affection, new desire. You long to repent, right? Repentance is a way to know God more, not, not being motivated by guilt or by, or by shame. You want to please God. You want to live a life worthy of God, knowing in a sense that you never can fully do that, but because of his grace, he's giving you the power to do that. And so Paul says, do you know that you've been spiritually raised? That you, you were dead. You were an orphan, but now you've been adopted. You were an enemy of God, but now he's made you a friend. That's the greatest reality of your life, that you've been spiritually raised. And one day, Paul says, you will be physically raised from the dead. But in between being spiritually raised and physically raised are the times in which all of us live right now. And it's, it's that murky middle. It's how do we live now between the times? And that's what Paul in Colossians is trying to help the Colossians understand. How do you live now in a fallen world where your new creations, but the old still sometimes rears its head, right? It's like whack-a-mole. You got to sometimes just keep hitting the past because the past is never always dead. Even though it, it is in a sense, 
We still are broken and fallen, and yet every day we're being redeemed more and more by Jesus. And Paul says the way that you can keep growing is to set your heart and your mind, meaning every part of you, on the reality of Jesus Christ. Set your heart and your mind on him and him alone. And that's what Paul says here. He says, set your heart on things above where Christ is. And where is Christ? He just happens to be seated at the right hand of God. So he has everything in control. He is seated. He's not anxious. He's not worried. He's not pacing up in heaven. What's going to happen today? Oh my goodness, things are Holy Spirit. You've dropped the ball here. How are we going to make sure things get done at Door Creek like I have? Right? He's seated. He's calm. Everything is underneath his feet. And so when we seek him and know him, when we're in his presence, we have peace. And so Paul, he then goes on to say, and in just a different way, he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And what he means here is, yes, in a sense, set your mind on heaven, but he doesn't mean set your mind on clouds or harps or bunnies, right? That's not however you envision heaven. That's not Paul. That is not going to really help you. <laughs> what he's saying is set your mind on Jesus. Set your mind on his reality because he says, you, you've died. Your old self, that's over. And now your life is hidden with Christ. You are, you are just enveloped within him. And one day when he returns, you will appear with him in glory. And so here we have Paul just unpacking a deep theological concept where your old life is gone, but now you're living by the power of Jesus in the present, looking forward to the day that Jesus Christ returns for you. And so that's the reality right there, right? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. I have died. I have risen spiritually. I will rise again physically. That's what the Bible teaches about our, um, our reality now. And we have to know that in our, in our hearts. That has to be the, the greatest reality of our life, seeking Jesus. And so sometimes people will say, well, Christians, you only care about the afterlife. You just care about getting your ticket to heaven, and then you don't care about relationships here. You don't care about the poor. You don't care about the earth, right? You don't care about any of that right here. And what I want to say is that is not true. Right? In fact, Christians should be the people who care the most about this earth because we know that the kingdom of God has come here already and one day God is going to renew everything and he's using the people, the church, to help actually make that happen. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He puts it this way. He says, hope is one of the biblical virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world, heaven, is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. See, if we're, if we're meditating on Jesus, we're, we're thinking, how can the reality of Jesus Christ permeate this earth now? How can the kingdom of God come on earth as in heaven now? We just want to enact the prayer of Jesus. And that's what C.S. Lewis says. And so if your mind is set upon Jesus, you're not just thinking, okay, one day I get to go and I can't wait. In a sense, yes. But in another sense, you're saying, how can heaven come through me now? How can I live as a foretaste of the future now with everyone around me? How can that happen? And so that's just the first four verses. There's more there, but we're going to move on quickly here to verse five. Paul's going to move on and he's going to just say, you've been raised with Christ, but... Right? We got, we got to get whack-a-mole going. You've still got dead parts in you that you've got to just, you've got to put that fire out. You've got to be active in putting to death things which are contrary to your new nature, to your new creation. Here's what he says in verses 5 through 10. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever, meaning anything, 
that belongs to your earthly nature, your old nature, before you knew Christ. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, right, in the past. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And here's where Paul is just unpacking, though you've been made new, you've got to now live in that reality. And what he's basically saying is you've got to become who you are. This is who you already are in Christ, but you've got to, you've got to live into that reality by putting to death the old things. Whatever the sin is in your life, you can't just tolerate it. You can't just say it's not a big deal. I'm new in Christ. I can do whatever I want. Paul says no. And so he runs through a list here of sexual morality and lust and anger and malice. And we could think of, of anything which keeps us from the holiness of God, from God himself, that will just end up isolating us and ruining us. Paul says you, just, you cannot deal with it lightly. You've got to be putting it to death. Remembering all the while that God has saved you and rescued you, so he's given you the power to do it. But it's not a power that makes you powerless and just say, well, I, it's, just, it's fine, I can just deal with it. Paul says, no, you've got to be actively putting it to death, actively putting things in your life to death that aren't of Christ. I'll explain it this way. I, th I used this story before, but I think it's helpful um, to think through this, this point. A couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, <clears throat> two years ago, there was a mouse in our house. <laughs> and my wife didn't like it. And uh, <clears throat> so she was like, you need to take care of this, right, as the man. And I thought, I'm ready. I'm going to man up. I'm going to kill this mouse. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to do this for you, babe. I'm going to do it for you. And so I, uh, I went to Menards and I saw, you know, they have the mousetrap section and uh, they have, you know, like the, the first option is like the guillotine, basically. I mean, it's just going to cut the, the mouse head off. It's just like, this is like hardcore. You're going to get it done. I thought, I, you know, my heart, I was like, I can't do that. I can't do this. Is there, is there any other option? And so there was like one, maybe it's still there at Menards. There's one picture of like a trap and it had a mouse like lounging in this sticky pad. <laughs> I was like, what is this craziness? This is like a resort for mice that are just hanging out. And I thought, I just need to try this out. This looks amazing. Like, you know, so it's like a sticky pad, but somehow it keeps them alive. So then you could get rid of them and throw them in your neighbor's yard or whatever you may. <laughs> it's a good way to love your neighbor, yeah. And so I thought, I'll just do this. I don't necessarily want to just have the blood everywhere and all that. And so I went home and I was like, oh, I got this sweet, you know, new, new trap. And so where all the droppings were, we opened up the drawer in the kitchen, put it in there. You know, the next day I heard a little moving around and I thought, I got him. Oh, I got him. It's going to be so sweet. And so, you know, I, I go in there, I open up the drawer and there's no sticky pad. There's no, and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I put it in this drawer right here, and I know no one has moved it. And so I'm not sure what's happened right now. And so I opened up the drawer um, beneath and thinking, like, maybe I put it in there. I mean, I didn't, but I just thought, maybe. And so I opened up that drawer, and there is the sticky pad with um, some of the sticky stuff missing and just a wad of hair right there. <laughs> and there's no mouse. And I was like, the rage within me, you know? I was like, this is a war. This is a war. I am, I was trying to be nice. I was trying to be kind. And now you've made me do it. Now I'm going to have to go back and get the guillotine. And so I went back to Menards and I was like, give me, give me, give me a machete. Give me, like, give me just, you know, not good. So I calmed down and I just got a regular mousetrap. 
And, uh, you know, one that just, you know, does that and just killed on contact. And so I put that in there, and I'm just, like, watching TV. I'm just waiting. I'm just like, oh, he thinks, and I'm just a nice guy. And uh, so he, the mouse, you know, apparently comes in because I hear it just go, boom. And I walk in there, and I open up the thing, you know, and the mouse is not, it's like a small mouse, you know, but it felt, like, amazing. And so there I saw him in the sticky pad, and he had a huge, or on the trap, and he had a huge thing of hair missing. <laughs> I was like, that's your calling card. I know it's you. I know it's you. <laughs> because you're half naked. And so you could not get away from me. You could not get away this time. <sighs> Why do I tell you that story? <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I have no idea. This is, this is week four for him. He's lost it. He's lost it. He's just saying things now to pass the time. Um, no, there is a point to it. Um, and it's kind of funny, but it's also hopefully, I think, somewhat, somewhat serious. What Paul says, he says, don't sticky pad your sin. Don't try and be nice to it. Don't tolerate it. Don't be compassionate to it. Don't just let it sit there and say it's not that big a deal. It's just a website. It's just a phone call. It's just another drink. It, it's just staying late. It's just one time I yelled. They deserve it. They've earned it. Right? This is how it always starts. When we say in our hearts, I, I'm not that person. I'm not my dad. I'll never be like that. And that's where the enemy jumps into your heart and says, oh, but you will be. Because what oftentimes happens is we just sticky pad it. And it's kind of cute and funny when it's a mouse. But it's not funny when it's the enemy. And when his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And what Paul says, he says, is you have got to put these things to death. You've got to kill them. You, you've got to amputate them. Because if you do not kill them, they will kill you. And I know we could all maybe tell stories of just where we've seen people who've just been found out, they've been exposed, and it was too late. It was too late. I could tell you stories of pastors. I would never do that, right? I'm in ministry, you know, I'm, and yet they just fall and they fall and they fall. And Paul says, just because you've been saved doesn't mean there's not work to do. You've got to be actively putting away sin. So whatever it is in your life, whatever the mice are, whatever you want to use. I know for some of us, we've got things that just keep coming up, right? They keep coming back and we can't quite fully get rid of them. And I just want to encourage you, keep putting these things to death. Keep by the power of the spirit doing those things, but do not have condemnation when you keep falling or keep failing. Because what Paul is saying here is you already have been raised, right? You already are new creation. So then put to death these things. It's not put these things to death as best you can, and then maybe you'll be raised. And then maybe God will accept you. That's what every other religion says, right? No, no, no. Paul says, you, these things have been put to death. Now just live in this reality. And when you fall and when you fail, you can repent in joy and not in shame. And you can, actually, you can actually have victory over these things. And maybe fully in this life you won't, but one day when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory without sin, without stain. But Paul says whatever it is, and so all of us, right, all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that there are things in your life that you just, you wish they weren't there. Keep, keep putting them to death. You do that through reading the Bible, through, through looking, setting your heart and your mind on Jesus Christ. You can't just look at a sin and isolate it and say, I'm just going to focus on that really. I'm just going to make this everything. That is not the way to do it. You've got you've to have something sweeter. You can't just say, I hate my sin. You've got to say, but what's, what's better than this? What's something more beautiful than this? And if sin is bitter, then Christ will be sweet. 
right? Winter here is bitter. <laughs> but how sweet is spring? And it's not that sweet if you don't go through winter. It's just blah, right? But if you taste, if you taste just the pain sometimes, actually it makes the gospel even sweeter. It makes it even more, more beautiful to you because you think, I'm still doing, I'm still falling like this. I'm still struggling. I thought I would do better by now. And yet you can always be reminded Jesus Christ knows. He knows. He's still walking with you. He's still staying with you, right? I've talked to many new Christians in my office, and I remember myself when I came to faith. And, you know, they've, they've been on the mountaintop. You know, they're trying to share the gospel with everyone in their life, and they're just going crazy. And they got the Holy Ghost just turned up to 10, and it's just awesome. And they come in three, four months later, and they've got a sin issue or something, and they just thought, I thought I'd be, why, well, I, I did this again. This is what I used to do before I was a Christian, right? The old nature. And they can just have all this condemnation on themselves because they thought, I thought I was set free. I thought I was good now. Why did I think this? Why did I act like this? Why did I, you know, why did I do this? And I just always want to say, because, because the old nature is still there somewhat. It's not just about sinning less. It's about repenting more. It's about looking to Christ more. It's about having him in your life more. Are you doing that more? The enemy always wants you to feel guilty always wants you to feel isolated. And Jesus Christ says, I paid for it all. I paid for it all. So now you can put these things to death. Are you? Are you able to do that? If you're seeking Christ, if you're in a community where you can be vulnerable and open and be willing to be exposed, I know it's hard. It's hard to do that. But the only thing harder than that is not doing that. It's being somewhere where no one knows you. And you think everything is fine, right? Because here's what's going to happen. Either you will be exposed on the last day or you can be exposed now and be healed and be saved. And it takes a church. It takes a community of people who all together say, I'm broken, you're broken, we're all broken. So when someone confesses a sin that they're trying to put to death but can't yet, you don't say, why haven't you, why haven't you killed it yet? You say, Let, let's together. Let's together put these things to death by the power of the gospel. That's a church. That's a place where people are mutually encouraged because they're all on the same journey. And Paul's writing to a church. He's saying, you can't do this on your own. Together you have to put these things to death. Why? Because you've put on the new nature. You're being, verse 10, you're being renewed in the knowledge of your creator. You're becoming human again. The image that God made you in, the perfect mirror, it was shattered at the fall. But now, day by day, God is putting it back together again, piece by piece by piece, until at last he comes in glory. And then the mirror is once again, as it was in the beginning. And Paul says, you've got to be actively killing it or it'll be killing you. It will be. He jumps ahead and he, he's going to emphasize the positive. So that's the negative, be putting things to death. But he says, also, don't just get rid of sin. Don't just put those things to death. You've got, you've got to do more than that. You've got to also clothe yourself with the gospel. Verse 12 through 14, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So he says, if you're putting these things to death, you've, you, you've, you've been stripped. You've stripped yourself of your old life, of your old nature, even though sometimes we want to put those old clothes on, and sometimes we will. God's grace is there for us. He says, well, there are new clothes for you, that you want to be cloaked in these virtues of kindness, of gentleness, of compassion, and of patience. And that happens when you are in Christ. And all of these descriptions are just descriptions of Jesus. 
What Paul is saying here, he's saying, if your mind and heart is set on Jesus, you will naturally be clothing yourself in Jesus. And, and who is Jesus? Well, he, he is compassion. All right? He is kindness. He is humble. He is gentle. And he is patience. You've got to seek him first. You can't try and be compassionate. It won't actually happen. You can't just say, I want to be kind. When you look to Jesus, everything else will flow from him. Seek him. Focus on him, and you will become kind and compassionate and humble and gentle and patient. And how many of us can, can grow in those areas? How many of us can become more kind and more compassionate and more gentle towards each other, towards ourselves, towards our neighbors, towards our coworkers? What clothes are you wearing? What, what are you putting on? How do people think that you're clothed? How do, would they say these are true of you? You're holy and dearly loved. And so clothe yourself with Jesus. He goes on to say about people in the church to each other. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And here is where we have forgiveness. And forgiveness is the most powerful thing in the world. Because it sets the person free in a sense that you're forgiving. And it also sets you free from being bitter. And so Christians, we have to be people that forgive. It doesn't mean that you excuse the behavior of someone. It doesn't mean you let people trample all over you. But it does mean that because Christ forgave you, you must forgive others. Paul doesn't say, forgive each other because they deserve it. <laughs> forgive each other when they apologize sufficiently and perfectly. He says, forgive each other. Why? Because Jesus Christ forgave you. Because he forgave you. And in the church, we are going to let each other down, right? This is not a surprise to anyone, right? I'm sure I've let someone down here, right? I don't get back to an email. I don't make this happen. I totally forget. I miss a meeting. I say something that is just totally wrong, and, I can just, and it's hurtful, right? I'm going to let someone down. You're going to let someone down. This is normal. But when that happens, how do we respond? Do we respond with anger? You should be better. Why did you do this to me? Or do we say, I forgive you? Is your first response forgiveness? Doesn't mean there's still not restoration or reconciliation. That needs to happen. That always needs to happen. That's real forgiveness. And this is the hardest thing. It's one thing to say, I forgive you, right? Like when you're a little kid and your parents make you, you know, like you aren't forgiving them actually. But in your heart of hearts, are you releasing people from the burden? And what you find is that actually you become free. I know a couple of people who have had hard things happen to them and they have not been able to forgive this person in their life, a parent, a spouse, right, a friend. They haven't been able to do it. And, and now I see them, and they're so alone. They're so alone because they've just been isolated from everyone. And instead of saying, I, for my sake, for God's sake, for this person's sake, I have to forgive. And so it's hard. I know it's hard. And that's why Paul says the only way you can do it is if the forgiveness of Jesus is more real to you than having to get even. You don't have to get even. Right? Jesus Christ will fix it all. He'll fix it all. He'll give you the power to do it. Bear with each other. Forgive one another in the church. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love, love, love. Love in Christ. Not just airy love, not just undefined love, but the love of God in Jesus Christ. That has to mark the church. How do we love each other? Are we known as people that love each other or that judge each other? or that are, that are angry towards each other? Do we love each other? 
Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, that's the church, you were called to peace, to peace with each other, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul says, how does this happen? How do you actually live as a spiritually raised person? How do you actually put things to death in your life instead of just kind of play around with them? How do you clothe yourself with, with these virtues that seem almost impossible? Paul says the answer is, is the message of Jesus Christ dwelling among you? Is it dwelling in your heart? Is it dwelling in your church? Not just here and then leaving, not just passing through, not just here on Sundays, every once in a while, but actually dwelling, making a home in your heart and in the church. And if the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, if that is dwelling within you, living within you, then these things are actually possible. It's the only way that they're possible. You cannot do it in your own power. You can't put things to death in your own power. You can't clothe yourself in the gospel in your own power. You cannot do it. But Jesus Christ, he has done it for you. And if that message is the realest thing to you, then you have an ability to live differently. You can. That's what Paul says to the church. He says, is this dwelling among you? As you teach each other, as you admonish each other, as you encourage each other, which means that everyone who's a Christian needs to know the message of Christ, needs to know it. How else can we encourage each other? If you don't know it, you can't pass it on. And so we have to know it to encourage each other, to help each other. It doesn't mean you have to know everything. It doesn't mean you have to memorize the Bible. But it does mean, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? It's such a powerful, it's such a powerful passage, and um, I want to say so much more, but I want to do something else as we finish, and that's recap where we've been the past four weeks, because I just think God's taken us to the mountains, and I don't want to just move on too quickly from that, and then I want to have us, I want to have us pray as, um, as well, and so for the past four weeks, here, here's where we've been. Week one, if you remember, if you've been with us, or if not, maybe you've listened online, or you haven't, I encourage you to to go and, and do that. Week one, right, Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Colossae. They're trying to follow Jesus. They're not sure how. They're not sure how to do it. And he's wanting to encourage them to help them. Jesus Christ is all that you need. He's all the hope that you have. In week one, we said, have you experienced the beauty of Jesus? Have you understood the beauty of grace? And I use the example of when I learned about the Grand Canyon and read about it, and then when I actually went to the Grand Canyon and experienced it. And I said, have you read about the gospel? Have you read the Bible? Have you, do you just know a lot of Bible knowledge or have you actually experienced the grace of Jesus? Has it actually changed your life from the inside out? Not just knowledge, um, not, not just rule keeping, but Jesus has changed your whole identity. Has he changed your whole identity? And that's what we said in week one. I used the quote from Jonathan Edwards where Jonathan Edwards said, a religious person looks at God and says, God, you're useful. And a Christian looks at God and says, God, you're beautiful. And someone that looks at God and says, you're beautiful has been changed by grace. And now they can go be a minister like Epaphras, wherever they are. And that was week one. And in week two, I said this, that Jesus Christ holds everything together so you don't have to. 
Jesus Christ holds the cosmos, the stars, and your heart together. So you don't have to just live with your fingers clenched. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. Because like Paul said here again, he's on the throne. He's not sleeping. He knows everything that's going on. Everything has been created through him. And one day everything will be reconciled through him. And so he's majestic and powerful and amazing. The firstborn, the beginning and the end. And we just lifted up how beautiful he is, how glorious he is, how amazing he is. And said, is your life proclaiming this? Are your lips proclaiming this? This door creek, are we proclaiming this? We have to proclaim him. He's our only hope. That's what Paul says in 129, him, 128, him we proclaim, Jesus Christ. And last week we talked about where can you find fullness. And I said you can't find it in following the rules, that's religion. And you can't find it in following your heart, that's your religion. Where can you find it? You can only find it because it found you. And because Jesus Christ left his home, you have a way home. And you can be filled, you can be full. Though you're empty, and all of us are going to be empty, and though we look towards other things to fill us, only in the gospel, only in Jesus Christ, God himself, can we actually be filled, can we be satisfied, can all the hunger finally find a place where we're filled. And that's what we said last week. And this week, briefly, what we said was, are you living who you are in Christ? The culture says be who you are. The Bible says be who you are in Christ and experience real and actual freedom. Do that. And so how does that happen? How do you put things to death? How do you live for the glory of God? How do you live as a, as a spiritually raised person? Is the message of Christ actually dwelling among you? Is it or is it not? And that's what we talked about briefly this week. Is the message, the grace of Jesus dwelling in you? And so what I want to do, what I want to do now is actually have us pray. So I'm going to invite Ben to come up and um, we are going to spend a decent chunk of time here actually praying together. And Why? Because we don't really pray, do we? Not really in church. We pray maybe before the announcements. We pray when I finish the sermon and everyone starts shuffling, it's time to go, right? I do it too. <laughs> I do it too. And what I, what I don't want to have happen is for us to just get a few nuggets, get a few things of wisdom, and just, okay, now I can go live my life. What I want us to do is actually hear from the Lord, is actually pray to him. Prayer is not just a means to an end. It is the end. It is the way that we know and love God, the way that we trust God. And so what we're, what we're going to do is just pray. And I'm going to have some uh, six things I've picked out from the last four weeks, and I'm going to pray. And there's going to be a moment for you to just pray in your heart or kind of respond to what, uh, to what I'm saying. And Ben's going to play um, underneath me. And uh, just so we, we just have uh, creating kind of a space here for that to happen. And so if you're not a Christian, then let me just say, I hope you're not totally shocked that we're praying in church. I promise that we're not going to ask you for anything or make you confess anything. And, and I would just ask you, you can pray along with us and maybe just say, if, this, if these things are really true, what would that mean? If this is really the reality, what would that mean? And for maybe a lot of us, we are prayer nervous. Are we going to hold hands? Or what's about to happen? We don't do this. I came here to be comfortable. Yeah, but you really came here needing to meet God. You came here needing to hear from God. And so there's going to be a moment probably when we start praying a minute or two in, and I know what's going to happen. You're just, it's just going to feel like this is awkward. It's quiet. Push past it. And let's just drown out every other voice, every other noise. And wherever you are, empty, filled, in a good place, in a dark place, not even folk, didn't even listen to anything I just said. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Like, this is the most important part, is hearing from the Lord, because he speaks to us. He wants to talk to us. 
And so I'm going to pray through things that we've talked about the last four weeks, that God might meet us, that God might speak to us, that God might fill us again with himself. Let's pray. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along as well. And close your eyes different times, you're welcome to do that. You pray in your heart as God leads you to. Lord, fill me with more of yourself so that I may live a life worthy of you. Lord, fill me with more of yourself so that I may live a life worthy, worthy of you. Father, as Paul wrote in Colossians 1, help us to bear fruit in all of our work, to be strengthened with all power according to your might. Help us have endurance and patience. And help us be people that joyfully give thanks to you for saving us. Father, we don't need more of us. We need more of you. Fill us, Lord, that we would please you in every way. Lord, you hold the whole world together so I don't have to. Help me to proclaim the majesty and beauty of Jesus Christ with my whole life. Father, I don't have to fix my family. I don't have to fix my life. I don't have to fix anything. I can rest in you. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to worry. Father, I can just stop because your son's on the throne, never sleeping, always awake, always there. But we always proclaim him. Lord, help me not look to following the rules, religion, or following my heart, irreligion, to find fullness, but look only to you and find all my fullness in your love. Father, we rush out of here and the world hits us in the face and all the, the allure is there of other things that can fill us, other, other things, a career, a better resume, a better marriage, a better life, more alcohol, more drugs, ways that we can finally feel like we feel anything. Lord, it's only found in you. For all of us here who the light is on, who are tired, would you fill us, Lord? Would he breathe you in and exhale you out? Lord, by your power would I put to death all things which are not of you and clothe myself with Jesus Christ, who is compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. Father, help us not hide. Help us be exposed by your grace that we could be healed. And when we fall and fail, and we can't quite put all those things to death, remind us of your love. That though we fall, no sin is greater than your grace. And so we can rise again. There's new mercy Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. 
happened today. Lord, in you there is reconciliation and unity for all people. I repent of thinking I am superior or that my race or my culture or my political party is superior. Help me and us to create a church where all people can truly, truly say of one another, you are my brother, you are my sister, because Christ is all and in all. Father, in no other world but the kingdom of God are people in this room friends. And Father, I pray that the table that you're creating would always have empty chairs, then more people would be invited. Help us be reconcilers, Lord. Help us be people of justice and mercy. And finally, Lord, I often grow tired and weary. I forget to pray and I forget your grace. I'm anxious and busy and filled with guilt and ungrateful far more than not. Help me to follow you, Lord, and glorify you with every part of my life. And when I fail and fall short, as I know I will, help me remember that all is grace and the love of Jesus Christ is ever, ever there for me until at last I see his face. Father, we're desperate for you. We need, we need you. We need your power. We need your presence. I pray, people here, wherever we are, that we would be filled, that we would be, we would be woken up from a slumber, maybe, if we've been sleeping. Lord, if you would just wake us up to your power, to your majesty, to your beauty, to your glory, to your greatness, to, to your eternality, to your love that saved us when we were dead in our sins, God, you made us alive with Christ. Lord, would that be the song of our life, wherever we are. Lord, you're there. Would you clothe us with the gospel? I'm thankful you already have that when we were naked, you came for us, Lord. Father, I'm thankful that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we call upon you, Lord. We call upon the living God that you might speak to us again. And we're thankful that we know that you will. In the name of Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior, who's loved us to life. And all God's people said, Amen.